0: Oh no. Oh it's the American Soccer Show. Eric Cocantor, Evan McConnell coming off a wild conference semifinal weekend. We're back and we got plenty to discuss including what happens when angry sporting Kansas City fans start throwing trash on the field and when angry New York Red Bulls fans start throwing trash on the field? Spoiler alert, it's bad things, people. Goodness.
1: Nothing good comes from throwing things on the field. But there's some good news before we get started. It is December 1st. That's right. They said we'd never Eric, make it. They, they said it wouldn't happen. They said this podcast couldn't make it into the cold once. They said it would shrivel up and die. Well, look at us Can now. Can they do
0: it in a cold rainy day in the Midwest or in the East, depending on where you consider Emmett from.
1: I mean, it looks like we can, we get it done, and we continue putting out this great content. Uh, what, what do you say we get started on uh, on these playoff games? Because they were something else, weren't well, they? Well, they were
0: definitely interesting, one maybe more so than the other, but we start with uh, the, uh, the red-headed stepchild of the games from... <laughs> From Thursday, it's uh, the New York Red Bulls did win the game one nothing. Perhaps maybe lost in all the drama. They win the game one nothing against Atlanta at home, but they lose three one on aggregate. Atlanta's moving on to host MLS Cup in that big stadium of theirs. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, no Kamar Lawrence again for the New York Red Bulls. And about fifteen seconds into this one, Joseph Martinez ne- Joseph Martinez nearly ended it. Uh, he just uh, I think one of the underrated points of a game like this where you know one team is going out to score a ton of goals is that the there's a bit of anxiety in amongst the players that of the team that need to score and it's pretty noticeable at the beginning of these games and one of the things that could happen and it almost happened here was that the Red Bull players were so amped up so anxious to get the game going they made a horrible mistake Tyler Adams a guy who almost never misplays a ball has it taken away from him and Joseph Martinez 98 times out of 100 probably scores it. So the Red Bulls were fortunate to not have the game basically end there.
1: It was nine seconds in. I do think you're being a little harsh on Adams. He, I think it was definitely like a, an immature play. But I, I remember he was dispossessing uh, Darlington Nagby of the ball, and he kind of just tackles it backwards for some reason. Um, but I remember watching that and just yelling at Martinez, shoot it through his legs, shoot it through his legs. Because Robles had a good angle on him, he did close it down, and at, if that had went in, New York would have needed five goals. It was it, would, it was over to come back. It was already a tough tough mountain to climb, but five goals
0: without conceding which, another, mind you. Yeah, no, it would have been over. Uh, There's no doubt in my mind; it would have been over at that point. So, but you know, Robles does make the good save. Uh, he makes he made a couple in that first half. It's kind of scary to think, but Atlanta probably had the best chances in that first half. Despite the fact that New York Red Bulls, after that incident, kind of settled down a little bit and were on the front foot most of that first half, but it just it didn't matter. It's one of those situations. I, I, they call them empty possessions in American football. I think it's I think there's something similar, right, in soccer where it's like it's just empty possession. They you know they were they were passing the ball back and forth. They had control of the game, but they never really created anything out of it. There's almost nothing in that first half by New York that made me think that they were going to score.
1: I believe the uh, the phrase thrown around is possession with a purpose, uh, which I mean I find a little uh, a little cliche, but I think that's kind of the soccer version is you have to you don't just keep it for the sake of keeping it. But I will give credit, you know, I, the Red Bulls looked a little bit out of ideas, but Atlanta's defense uh, was smothering. It was, and I would say they out Red Bulled the Red Bulls in this game because in the last two games, the Red Bulls took down Atlanta with the smothering press.
0: Yeah, they absolutely did. So it it was just it was kind of a, like a 5-4-1 from Atlanta basically because you know Almirón was playing left mid there instead of Marti- under Martin underneath Martinez where he normally is. And I, it just it didn't it didn't really allow the Red Bulls to get any kind of space, you know, like I said, possession, but possession was just moving the ball around, finding a guy who was open and then looking around and realizing there's, there's no one open in an actual dangerous area. They've closed down all this space. There's nowhere to go forward. It's just, it was just kind of these lateral and these backwards passes, trying to find space and not being able to find any of it.
1: I don't think the Red Bulls are used to playing a team that's that defensive, uh, because it, you know as much as they are good with the ball, this isn't a Red Bull team um, that uses all of the field like it might have done under Jesse Marsh. It's a very direct team under Chris Armis. And you see guys like Royer and Daniel Moyle... Um, Alex Moyle, sorry... Playing, like, pretty much even with the fullbacks. And, I mean, they just made it more difficult to themselves... By keeping it more narrow. They didn't really... You know, when people... Teams defend the middle and pack it in like Atlanta did... Usually the way around it is try to get it wide and put crosses in. But Red Bulls couldn't get anything wide. As soon as they went wide... Um, you know, they had Laid and Royer out on the left or uh, Murillo and Moyle on the right. You know, you would think in the five-back system, usually there's only one wide man defending. But Atlanta did well by having the four midfielders. They had Almiron helping out Garza. They did have or Gressel helping out um, Escobar on the right side. And even the, the center backs. You had Lorenowitz sliding over and helping, and gonzalez Pires sliding over and helping and making tackles. So normally when you're outnumbering teams uh, by getting 2v1s in the wide areas, they are actually getting 2v3s. And they just couldn't get anything uh, in areas where, you know, they, they were kind of needed to get space.
0: Yeah, I agree. The, the the tactical adjustments that Atlanta made to, you know, just close down all that space was remarkable. And one of the things I thought was interesting was that the Red Bulls kind of... Chris Armas, he lined them up the same way he'd been lining them up the whole season. You know, the 4-2-3-1s become... I think the go-to formation here in MLS at least it feels like a lot of teams use it now and this was one of those times where it just doesn't feel like it was the right decision to try because there there was just nothing there like it it was kind of the same problem as the first game Bradley Wright Phillips almost uh, completely lacking any kind of service whatsoever he is he is not the kind of guy that's going to take the ball and you know make a play for himself he's just not is just not that type of player. So you need to get him some kind of service. And when your leading goal scorer is completely on an island out there by himself, like he was for both these legs, it it destroys any kind of attack focal point that you have and it forces other players to create chances. And the reality is outside of Kaku Gamera, I don't there's not too many players that I'm loving to make a play by themselves. Maybe Tyler Adams. That's about it.
1: Yeah, and I mean I'll get it to it later. I'm not hugely impressed with the wide players' abilities to create. Uh, on this team. I think it's normally just to open up space, but uh, it seems like Wright Phillips in these past few games has start, started to be figured out. Uh, start with that Union game where they won one nothing on the road. Uh, it was the first game where he had no shots in the season. And since then he's, you know, he's slowed down, gotten a little quiet, uh, and and this was a master class from uh, Parkhurst and co. as they held uh, Wright Phillips. So again, essentially, nothing. He had no space. And the problem with this 4-2-3-1 being the, kind of the standard in MLS is it was created to be a counterattacking formation to counter the 4-3-3 that Barcelona kind of made popular in the uh, two, mid the early 2000s. So, I mean, you did have Kaku dropping in and making it a 4-3-3 at times, but then it left right Phillips up alone. And, I mean, it's just, you know, as good as Armas was, controlling Atlanta the first two games this one was just the complete opposite
0: yeah agreed
1: and so the crazy thing
0: at least for me was okay so at the start of the second half right there was talk that they're going to move to a 4-1-4-1 4-1, and I'm like okay that I guess it makes more sense now you're, you're flooding more players into the midfield and you'll have better chances to you know alternate who's going forward and who's kind of holding back for a counter, but. I'd been begging, kind of, for counter laid to come off. It's nothing personal against him, right? He's done. A, he's, he did a fine job, all things considered. He's got, but he's got nothing going forward. And to me, it, having a fullback in the game at that point, fifty-five minutes in, that just giving you nothing going forward when you need three goals is just it's just not helpful.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's a scrappy little player. He he had a couple moments where I think he burst forward, all right, but um. What confused me is then they did bring him off, right? You got that right. Um, They brought on Derek Etienne Jr. But to play left back? Confused me. I don't know, and it it didn't seem to work either because he basically played as a left back. He didn't play as a winger. He didn't play as a forward and push-up. He stayed back. And I thought he was actually less effective in that role.
0: Yeah, no, he was, and they haven't been able to, he hasn't been able to find his rhythm, and they, they've tried him a couple of places around the field, and he was basically out there just as another attacking player, but I, I think the Red Bulls threw caution to the wind way too late into this one, you know, it's 65 minutes in, I, I put down that they were finally looking more promising, uh, Martinez comes off for Atlanta in the 70th minute, so, you know, they're a little less, uh, a little less direct, counterattacking available. Now you know Hector Vialba's more of a threat with his pace, less so than with uh, Martinez, who's just kind of a, a scrappy goal scorer that you need to service many times. A- Atlanta's back line was just so physical. They were cutting everything off. And then when the Red Bulls finally scored, and I think at this point Red Bulls fans are probably going to have PTSD from uh, VAR reviews because here we go. They score again and again, and take, it gets taken away this time as frustrating as it may be again it has to be the correct call Guzan has the ball and has it headed out of his hands
1: and I yeah I have no arguments with this one I think you knew that coming in Um, I'm not even sure uh, that um, the ball is even headed I think uh, in Long's attempt to head the ball he kind of just knocks his head into Guzan's arms and that's what causes him to drop it so yeah no problem with that I think that that ends up getting called with, you know, without VAR. I think they just wait to see it so they can look at it. Because they call it back before, and it's it's tough to bring, give the goal back. Um, so, I mean, if you're a Red Bulls fan, you might not like it, but. It was it was correct both times
0: yeah I feel bad for them just in that sense but and I feel bad for them in general it's just another chance for them to get over the hump and they're unable to we'll talk we, we will bury them in the obituary in just a little bit but you know just briefly talking about this opportunity that they had you know they were the best MLS team in history points wise and the the chances to turn this thing around and you know having already gone down to Columbus many people thought maybe they finally exercised those demons and here we are again. The story just doesn't change with these guys. The opponent just does.
1: Yeah, they just can't seem to get it done in the playoffs. I mean, another supporter shield. Uh, another year where, you th- you know, I-, I think people thought coming in that they had to be the favorites, given how they've been playing, how they've been dealing with Atlanta. Um, and they couldn't get it done. I mean, to be fair, they did win one nothing, right? Yeah. Um, so if this was like a regular season game, you say, yeah, the Red Bulls got it right. They won one Uh, But... It's tough when you go on the road and lose three nothing. I think that was always going to be something that was a pretty low probability of them overturning, given how uh, acute Tata Martino's uh, coaching ability is.
0: Agreed. The only real downside out of this game, other than you know, maybe you consider Martinez having to come off from a little bit of an injury, but I assume he's okay. Michael Parkhurst having to leave the game for an injury. That could be big for them. That back three or that back five, however they're going to choose to line up, is very much dependent on having three very good center backs. And, you know, you'd hate to see him not be able to play in the final. What was that stat Taylor Tolman was giving us that we were listening to before we started this, that he was like the first player to start five MLS Cups, or he would be if he played in this one?
1: Yeah. And I think uh, Parkhurst confirmed that interview on MLS Rewind, if you get the chance. Um, Parkhurst in the interview said he'll be playing. I don't know if that's – you know, hear it from the horse's mouth. You might think it's true, but it could be mind games. He could be denied before it happens. But I imagine uh, even if he's feeling pain, they're going to pump him full of painkillers, and he's going to want to be out there because his career is not lasting much longer. This could be his last shot.
0: Yeah, uh, I would hate to see him miss. So hopefully he's back. Uh, not just for Atlanta but for everyone's sake I want both teams to be 100% ready to go. Uh, aggressive? I I you know what? I mean you got to give credit to Atlanta. They were aggressive in the game. They needed to be aggressive in. And and this yeah. brings up an interesting question. I, I wanted to ask is it I I've always thought that I actually don't know that I wouldn't prefer to have my home game first. Right because the the no, reason yeah. the Red Bulls get to host this game is, or host the second leg is because they finished higher in the table. I don't know that I wouldn't want to have that switched.
1: Well, both teams that hosted the first game moved on in this situation. Um, I, I know what you mean, and I think there was a stat that came up that said that the teams that host the first game usually do better because they can kind of dictate the pace uh, of, the, of the series, really. You know, they can... Um, You know, if you're in Portland's case, they can say, yeah, we want to take a a nil-nil. We want to keep them to no goals. Or you can say, Atlanta, yeah, we want to make this a high-tempo first game and get off to a running start and make them catch up. Um, In both cases, you know, sporting Kansas City without getting the away goal, you know, they were always at a disadvantage playing in the second half because if it's a draw, they lose, unless it's nil-nil, in which case it goes to overtime. So they can't win with a draw, but they can lose with one. Agreed. So I get what you mean, uh, but also with the – you know, getting rid of the overtime away goals, it gives you a little bonus if it goes to overtime. You don't have to deal with the away goals. You get an extra thirty minutes. I do appreciate on your that. Field.
0: I do appreciate that rule. I, we talked about it last time. I, I thought it was very much well instituted, so I'm okay with that. But in any case, uh, they they did surrender. I think that Atlanta will feel like they probably should have wrapped this game up a while ago at this point you know we're like 70 80 minutes in and the New York Red Bulls have only finally found their last goal but uh, Atlanta did squander some chances that you normally expect them to put away that would be my only concern is that they're not clinical in MLS Cup final that would be that would be something that would help Portland stay in the game but you know I, I don't know how many more complaints you could have about Atlanta and they they're going into that game extremely hot they're playing their best of the season and did it hurt the Red Bulls, having won the Supporters' Shield, not maybe because they got complacent, but because it might have lit a fire under Atlanta.
1: You know, I I think that's less likely than Atlanta getting deflated after getting blown out by Toronto, uh, losing twice to the Red Bulls. But, you know, as they say, another soccer cliche, uh, actually all sports, it's tough to beat a team three times. It is very tough. You really have to be significantly better to do that. And Atlanta kind of, I think, they regressed to the mean with that 3-0 victory after losing 2-0 twice. So, I mean, on aggregate over the four games, the Red Bulls has, you know, what, they have five goals to three. So, I mean, they still have a bit of an advantage, but that's, it's such a difficult thing. Um, so it's possible, yeah, that Atlanta thought, you know, we are the better team. We should be the, you know, the, the higher seed or whatever and that they blew it. Could have, but I'm surprised it didn't flatten them more so. Okay. I don't know how you feel about it.
0: I don't know. I mean I, I see your point. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but I, I was thinking to myself, and I, I don't know, like Tata Martino was very upset. We heard him after the season and we and you both kinda of thought he was overreacting a little bit when he was talking about how they blew it, everything about it was a disgrace. Like he was he was visibly and audibly upset about it. So I think that did translate to his players. They everybody in that locker room was upset, feeling like, you know, they they'd let themselves down, that they'd thrown away all they'd worked for, and so now it's time to win the real trophy and not let the season get away from them.
1: Yeah, I mean it's crazy because what, they ended up tying the all time points record. Right. It was just that the Red Bulls had the you know, the best. Um so yeah, it's it's possible that uh galvanized the team and got them forward. But again, this is a very, very strong Atlanta team. Uh, and given how aggressive they played and high intensity, and like I said, almost Red bullsian if you want to put a uh, <laughs> Red
0: bullsian I like that
1: an adjective onto it. It was you know, they had that aggressive mentality and the Red Bulls looked a little bit flatter. They looked like they were just out of ideas as we've I think we saw at the end of the regular season with Atlanta. Uh, they started showing weaknesses, started looking like out of ideas and now they have maybe that is it did give them that little boost of energy, who could say?
0: Well, the motivation is all there now for sure with that MLS Cup being hosted next Saturday in Atlanta should be a fun time and their opponents will be the Portland Timbers against Maybe not against all odds, but certainly against many odds. They go to Kansas City and win the game 3 2. That means they win 3 2 on aggregate. Uh sporting Kansas City, as you would expect, came out with the aggressors early. They've been very dangerous early on, and their aggressiveness paid off, right? Daniel Shaloy off that uh bit of a deflection on a cross. It's there for him, and you know, he smashes it between the legs of a Portland defender who is probably gonna replay that back in his head a hundred times had they lost this game. Poor guy. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, Valentin. I mean, uh, I was watching that and just thinking, you know, Martinez, you should have went to the legs. I mean, Valentin's legs, it's one of the hardest things to stop because his legs almost closed when that happens. The ball had like no room and he somehow squeezed it in. But I want to go even further back in that play, just one more pass. Because okay. I know how you feel about the forward situation in uh, Sporting Kansas City. And I think that that goal is kept alive. And I mean, he gets the assist, it was Diego Rubio. He gets past the near post, makes that unselfish forward run, gets the ball that's probably about to go out for a corner kick, keeps it going, and just puts it back in. And I think it kind of you know bamboozles the Portland defenders. They don't really expect that kind of run to come. They catch them, catches them from behind their shoulder, uh, and I mean that's kind of what you needed, what they needed out of a forward. I mean it's been their weakest position so far this year.
0: I agree. I agree 100%. And, you know, you weren't going to get any disagreement from me on bashing Kyrie Shelton and talking about the need for another forward there. But, yeah, and it's Diego Rubio, by the way, who is you know who was very big in this game for Kansas City many different times. It's just his forward play is so good. And he, he, he really does fit that style of the 4-3-3, number nine. That you need in the middle, you need that the number nine in a four-three-three has to be pretty dynamic, right? They have to be able to play passes. They have to be able to do some hold-up play. You got to be able to do a little bit of everything because of the way the formation tends to work. And so, I just I think he suits it the best. And I know I understand, you know, some circumstances change the way that they're able to use him and you know he was unavailable for the last game because of the yellow card accumulation and all that so I understand that it wasn't always just a, a choice of Kyrie Shelton over him but I think Diego Rubio has got to be the starting number nine for this team going forward
1: yeah and you know unless we see someone coming in I don't think Christian Nemeth is the answer he's a fine super sub but I did want to bring it back to that but you know Shalloui was kind of the the man of the hour in the last series getting the goals that pushed him forward Uh, But this first half was all Sporting Kansas City. They were fantastic. And I honestly, I mean, you'll hear it multiple times from different people. They probably could have been up 2-0. There was a VAR uh, decision turned around. Or it wasn't VAR, actually. It was a uh, goal disallowed, but it was the sideline official. And I was thinking at the time, that man deserves a raise. Because he saw Ike Parra interfere with the play, being offside. And... Honest, I mean, I was so surprised because you rarely see that from a sideline official. Usually, they'll give you an offside. If the foul is right next to them, they'll give it. Uh, but to catch something like that, which was maybe not so obvious, was very impressive. Uh, but there were several other chances, even, from Sporting. That wasn't the only one. They easily could have had more because they were that dominant in the first half.
0: They were. They let their foot off the gas just a little bit, and... You know, I guess this is as good a time as any to bring this up, but it, it became almost the M.O. of Sporting Kansas City in this playoff run because they we talked about it. They were very, very close. Frankly, they should have been eliminated by Real Salt Lake, and those chances at the end of the game, Real Salt Lake just didn't put any of them away. But the same thing happened. Sporting Kansas City came out perhaps even more aggressively against RSL and dominated the first half, but then RSL came firing back. In the last few minutes of the game, RSL was struggling to just barely hang on. I mean, and... It was a common theme for them, right? It...
1: Yeah, RSL should have came out and with that win in that series, it was some pretty poor misses in the end. And I think that if you have the, uh, it's not the talent because RSL those players have a lot of talent, but it's the veteran, uh, you know, leadership, and mentality that uh, Valeri and Sebastian Blanco have that kind of gave I think Portland the edge where RSL couldn't you know didn't exactly have that uh, that sharpness.
0: Yeah. So, anyway, the the point is that Sporting Kansas City will probably have to kick themselves a little bit for letting this game get away from them, given how dominant they were in that first half. And so they were the stat they showed on ESPN was they were eleven and zero when leading at halftime. The graphic was cut off for me uh, after that, so I'm not sure what the like the circumstances were there. I don't know if it was like this season or you know in the playoffs all time, but they were eleven and zero when leading at halftime. Needless to say, that did not work out for them, and in the second half. Start with that Sebastian Blanco goal. Amazing.
1: Oh, talk dear. about turning a game that, on its head. The reaction from everyone on the field was hands on head, gaping at the shot. Absolutely beautiful. And this is where it turns around for Portland because it wasn't even until then when they start actually looking like a threat. And honestly, that wasn't much of a threat uh, from that distance a shot, pretty low percentage. Yeah, But it was absolutely beautiful. Especially struck. against
0: the keeper of Tim Melio's caliber. But uh, we call that in Spanish a lasso, and it was well deserving of that moniker. I, I mean, I basically had the same reaction that uh, Blanco did. He was kind of like shaking his hand, like not being, he couldn't, he could barely believe it himself. And I was like, oh, on my couch, I was freaking out. So he basically shot that thing from Kansas City, Missouri, and it went
1: in. To Kansas City, Kansas. Yes.
0: See, because those are two different. Cross the
1: state lines. Ah, see, I get ah, it. Ah,
0: see, geography jokes for our people out there.
1: And if you were interested, the the stadium is just over the city, the state <laughs> borders, apparently. So, uh, he did. Uh, he basically struck it from a different state. But I mean, that was that was the turning moment for me because Portland really wasn't getting much going, and that kind of gave them a little bit of energy to say, "Okay, we, we can do this." Yeah, no, it, it kind of took
0: the crowd out of it for a little while, too. The crowd couldn't believe it, and I said they were stunned. I said, I was stunned, and I'm in my couch in Indiana. So, yeah, it was incredible.
1: Uh, so things only get better from uh, for Portland from there because they get the next one, too.
0: They do, and uh, this comes after Ola chants from the Portland away fans. Didn't think there was enough of them there to do that, but they did. They started an Olay chant. When they started passing the ball around, and then a ball comes into Jeremy Iboibise uh, from Blanco, who again was having a marvelous night. Uh, Ibobise, a guy who I've been high on, he he gets the pass and he he just barely brings it down. He tries to put it past Melia. But he does just enough, right, because Melia only barely gets a hand on it, and Valeri's there, and, you know, Taylor Twelman raved about it for minutes and minutes. I'm not sure it was, I'm not sure it was that great awareness, but it was, it was good positioning by a guy like Valeri, and you would expect him to be alert for a play like that. He heads it right in, and suddenly, you know, Sporting Kansas City are on the ropes because they need two.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, Twelman, I think he goes on for a- at least an hour in the end through his uh, total, you know, podcast shows and broadcast. Uh, for me, it was, it was all Blanco. That was that chip is so difficult over the top of the defenders not going to the goalie to have enough curve to kind of come back into the path is such a difficult skill. I mean, I think that's almost more challenging than the shot he took. That might be a, you know, controversial pr- opinion because that shot was quite absurd. I don't think you're going to see many like that this year. It's a pre- it's a
0: picture perfect pass. I don't disagree that this level of skill is up there with the goal. One of the things with the goal like that, listen, no, take nothing away from his technique to strike the ball the way he does with the amount of power that he gets on it from that distance. Cause you have to have the perfect combination of things, right? You got to have power to beat a goalie like Tim Melia. You got to have placement to beat a goalie like Tim Melia, and everything has to go right, right? Just one, you know, one little gust of wind pushes the ball a little bit further out. Maybe you don't turn your foot fast enough until the ball doesn't curve as well as it should. All those things come into play. This this pass, I mean, it's it's a perfect timed thing because if you do it one second too late, he's offside. You do it one second too early, he doesn't get to it because the defender's right there to close it off, or Tim Melia is going to be able to come off his line and get to it. So you're absolutely right that the pass is a thing of beauty in and of itself and deserves to be praised perhaps just as much as the goal.
1: Which is unfortunate because, again, Valeri kind of got all the praise because he scored the goal. He's the veteran that everyone says. He's the guy who steps up, and he does step El up. El Maestro. You know, he does it again later, but Blanco, for me, is the spark plug in this team, in this game, uh, at least, with a goal, probably deserving of an assist here with that pass. Uh, I, honestly, you can go through, you might find, you know, you know, far distant strikes like Blanco's every once in a while, but finding passes like that is difficult. That's the kind of stuff that Iniesta would do. And I remember being on teams where coaches would yell at players for trying it because it's so, so difficult to pull off.
0: It's difficult, but when done well, uh, it's so effective.
1: And, I mean, after that, uh, I mean, again, they needed, sporting needed two goals, but honestly, I thought they were going to get it. It did feel
0: like the, that way. They started really pushing forward. Uh, it was later at this point that uh, fans from Kansas City started throwing trash on the field. I thought you were better than this. Verme- they actually suspended the game again uh, for a few minutes, and me Verme- charges onto the field and is like, Throwing his arms at the supporters section, and the supporters section immediately like starts pointing, like "Nope, wasn't us." Nope, <laughs> you want that <laughs> point guy?
1: It was them over there, and the other guys. Like, no, 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 it was them. Uh, but yeah, it's always shameful. I mean, we we breezed over it, but in the New York Red Bull fan hit uh, Almirone in the head with a can beer can. Uh, that made me sad because Almirone strikes me as a really nice guy. But um, yeah, I I can't stand that and. Honestly, like you'd think people would know better, because that's a lifetime ban, often, if they find you for throwing things on the field. It's, as it at least should. it should be. As at some places, be. it is. Yeah, uh, you yeah know, it, I know the Premier League's very good at cracking down on that. It
0: absolutely should be. The footage needs to be found, person needs to be found, just for life. I mean, there's just no excuse for that. You can't throw things at the players, and then to actually strike them, too. It's basically... I was going to say assault, but Emmett here is up to date on all the statutes, so I have to inform you that it is in fact a battery, not a salt.
1: Yeah, if he, I mean, my mom will be happy that uh, I think I got that one, but if he had yelled at him beforehand, I'm going to hit you with this can, <laughs> then it would be assault, <laughs> And it's assault and battery if he hits him with the can. Well, um, premeditated? I just, got a, I just got a weird look. <laughs> okay,
0: well, uh, well, I'm glad that we've got criminal statutes on this show. So now. maybe
1: I'm wrong. Well, uh, comment, leave a comment if uh, we think we need to brush well, up. Then,
0: and that's all Emmett, not we. That's all Emmett. I was always of the opinion or always of the mindset that assault was actually hitting somebody. So if he's wrong, that's all Emmett. Send your angry comments to Emmett. And yes, I am throwing him under the bus.
1: That is fair. Um, and as a sporting Kansas City, supporters should be thrown under the bus as, as well. As they should. Anyway... Play does continue. Um, and the next sub I found was interesting, but it worked. Because uh, Sporting takes off Daniel Shalloway, the goal scorer, the guy who scored, I think, the majority of their goals in these playoffs, for Gerso Fernandez, who I think was probably the most exciting player in either game. Oh, he was, in the he was phenomenal. 20, 30 minutes he was on.
0: I was like, why wasn't this guy playing, obviously?
1: <laughs> he made Zarek Valentin look absolutely ridiculous. I mean, he already looked bad with the nutmeg with his legs closed. That's already difficult enough. But the amount of times he just pushed the ball past him, put in a low cross, was, I mean, I need to see more of this guy. He looked like Leroy Sané out there. Uh,
0: he was definitely electric, and i what a super sub for Sporting Kansas City. Makes you think that maybe they knew what they were doing when they let Latif Blessing go. Given how electric how many options this team just does seem to have, right? You know, in this, this team suffered some injuries throughout the season. They they had to go to different guys at different times, and it just felt like they were just bringing on up. Oh, plan B is just as good as Plan A.
1: Sometimes even better. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and he does get him Valentin, who was on a yellow, quite good on uh, on one move. He's got
0: to go for that, right?
1: I think I probably would do it, but I can see how the ref is leaning. <sighs>
0: I look. I I've always. I'm I'm one of those people that's like, oh, it's not worth the second yellow, you know, as if as if a second yellow has a higher threshold than a first, which it really shouldn't. But I think he's got to go. But it does. It does.
1: It's the same thing as penalties. It's the same thing as straight reds. The the threshold is, you know, it's got to be absolute uh, because it is basically a red card. But I agree with you. I think the ref probably should have should have sent him off there.
0: I think he's got to go, and so uh, ah. It's unfortunate that that happens because that, I mean, the uh, Sporting Kansas City were on the front foot basically the rest of the game. And to be a man up would have been even bigger. So, you know, Atinella does have to make a big save in the 73rd minute. uh, And so it was at this point that I thought to myself, you know, where is Johan Cruyze? And I kept looking, mm -hmm. is he injured? Like, no, he's not injured. He's on the bench. And I know he'd become a sub down the stretch. So I, I was I was understanding that fine whatever you know he wasn't in form at the end of the season you got to play your best team I'm I'm good with that and that's good coaching because it shows that you know how to bring in players that if you know if a guy's struggling he doesn't have to just keep playing because his, the other options just aren't any good right but man 77 minutes in and he's still not in the game you need goals
1: you, yeah you could question Vermees like Armas for not kind of getting a little getting more aggressive earlier. But I have heard from sporting fans that Quaze has not been up to stuff. I mean, this is a DP player, so you expect big things from him. Uh, but apparently when he comes on, he's just not as effective. And again, this is a center mid. He became kind of like a, a right winger. Let Johnny Russell be like an attacking mid, which I thought was an odd uh, change. He does have, I mean, when you see his left ball, left foot uh, you know, balls, he does have quite a good delivery. Now, he can whip in a ball into the box. Uh, which he did on a couple occasions. I'm not saying uh, that were quite dangerous, I,
0: and I'm not saying he needed to start. I'm not saying he needed to be out there, you know, 45th at halftime, right? But I mean, he looked pretty good when he was in there. I'm um, and the, in a game where you know there's no extra time, there's no scenario that leads to extra time now based on the way the game's gone. So it, I think you go for broke. I see no reason not to. And I, the fact that he didn't get into the game until. Ah, man, like I don't, I don't have it written down here, unfortunately. But he doesn't get into the game until after the 80th minute.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I can see where you're coming from, but I think that this sporting team, uh, I think their players are like, who do you take out for him?
0: Well, here's the thing: Johnny Russell's the one that came out for him, right? And it, and at that point, I was like, oh my goodness! But like again, there's no way extra time's happening, so there's you don't have to worry about well, if I put all the attacking players on and we end up in extra time, what are we gonna do? No, this was a total like do-or-die situation, so I was against taking off Johnny Russell. Honestly, I just would have taken off uh, one of the center backs, tried to go three at the back.
1: I think you could take off Seth uh, Sinovic, maybe, oh. uh, the left back, and go three at the back. With Zusi. I don't know, maybe put Ilya back there and put him in center mid. But, I mean, he's a center mid. You have Ilya, who I think is a talented defensive mid who can protect the defense. Who was also playing some pretty have... good balls
0: yesterday, I might add.
1: Yeah, and he he had a couple of moments we searched for as well. You have Roger Espinosa, linchpin of this midfield, and you have Felipe Gutierrez, the guy who's just everywhere, who's an absolute monster who can come up with a goal. So I'm wondering, like, who do you take off? I mean, maybe Russell was a little out of shape. They want to take him off. I would, like I said, I would have put him further in the middle, but uh, he does end up playing wide in that position. I think he take off a fullback. I don't know. Maybe he'd take off. I, I think it's a tough. It's a tough decision unless you have someone who's really really tired I don't know who you take off uh, my, that's my only problem my
0: money would have been Roger Espinoza. just looking just looking at it now like having having the thing in front of me I just and, and look obviously it's e- it's easy to play the game of hindsight the game of mon- of well Saturday Saturday morning uh, armchair coaching right? Yeah. I just, I don't know. I, I like, I know it's not FIFA. I understand it's not as simple as just put the, every attacker out there and pray that we're going to get it done. But at that point in the game, like, you know, you need the other goal and you can't, if you don't have it, you're going to lose. And if you get it, yeah, you might have to defend for a few minutes, but like, I, I don't know. I, I would have gone for broke a little sooner than he did. Now, I guess he does take into account a little bit the fact that there were nine minutes of stoppage time. Thanks to the, you know, the disturbance with the uh, crowd members throwing trash on the field.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that was a, a, a sight in of itself. And
0: here's the other thing: Sporting Kansas City ends up benefiting from their fans throwing trash on the field. Because I mean, if you
1: think, if you think that there was, I mean, what maybe it was four or five minutes of stoppage time? Otherwise, if you think that the play had been stopped for four minutes, then yeah,
0: I I was gonna say this even earlier. Doesn't it help them a little because Portland had just scored right? Portland had just scored again and the momentum was like all Portland the game stops now comes to a complete halt and then Sporting Kansas City gets to rejoin the game and they get more time on the back end when they're at that point probably going to be attacking with everything they have I'd take it I'd certainly take it I think that's more momentum
1: and that's a good point That's 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 quite possible uh, I think it's difficult to say uh, the problem with the momentum point I the only thing I guess I could poke holes in is that Portland had had you know have two goals they can essentially defend, you would think, even with momentum, they would be starting to sit back and basically giving away the uh, the impetus to attack. So that's the only problem I can see with it, at least.
0: And look, there's no, there's no, you know, black and white explanation. There's not any kind of, there's not going to be any kind of like scientific breakdown of, oh, it's more beneficial. It's, it's a matter of momentum. It's a matter the factors are always going to change. But I'm, I think in that situation, I think it worked out for Sporting Kansas City. Of course, now in the end, it really didn't because breakaway off a corner, Diego Chara plays in Diego Valeri.
1: Icing on the cake. Finishes
0: it off. I'm surprised he didn't go for the shirt ripping off. It was kind of cold though, so I don't blame him.
1: Uh, Almost relieved, I guess. I mean, the game... Okay, it was the 99th minute or 98th minute when he scores it. So it was already kind of getting to the tail end. Uh, But that was... uh, I mean, that yeah, was your big game player coming up with yet another goal. Valeri gets two. I think he probably ends up getting man of the match because of that. But Blanco, for me, was uh, the man who really uh, gave Portland the edge. Uh, and, I, and, you know, credit should be given because despite giving up two goals... Portland was quite good defensively in the end. Yeah, they did just uh, enough. Holding off a, a lot of Kansas City attacks. And
0: it's what I talked about when they beat Dallas. That The only thing that was holding me back from really getting behind Portland was this idea that I didn't think that they were good enough defensively to win. But after they held on in that whole, that fiasco of a game that they had against Dallas in the knockout round, I said, I believe this team can defend now. And they showed it.
1: And I think, I don't know how much it comes down to Bill Tuloma and uh, Liam Ridgewell in the back. They deserve some credit. But for me, it's Diego Char and David Guzman, David Guzman, who were so important in kind of keeping them safe and protecting those guys because I think without them, that defense is exposed. Yeah.
0: Well, like I said, we're going to see what's going to end up happening in that game against Atlanta. It'll be a much tougher task than any they faced so far in the playoffs, which is kind of crazy enough as it is. But we will see. We'll talk a little bit more about what their chances are when we get there. But now it's time. We told the bell for the two teams we lost this weekend, this uh, weekday Thursday night. Start with the New York Red Bulls, and it's like I mentioned earlier. Every time you think they're going to flip the script, they just can't get over the hump, and the paper gets flipped back on top of them and thrown back in the fire. So they're always the bridesmaid, never the bride. One MLS Cup appearance in their history, a loss to Columbus Crew. I mean, how many more cliches can I come up with for this poor, poor team?
1: Yeah, they don't change. It's classic Red Bulls. Uh, I think the thought was from a lot of pundits and people that this was their year, they won the Supporters' Shield again, but they are going to have the intensity in the playoffs. They were going to... They had the better of Atlanta. They were going to be able to beat the one team that kind of had... would give them the biggest threat. But, uh, in the end, it didn't really work out. And I think, in the end, this was probably technically one of the weaker teams in the Red Bulls recent history uh, just personnel wise however under Chris Armis they looked so perfectly organized and hardworking. more so I think in previous years especially defensively that it worked out for them in in the end and and, and improved them I mean I'm going to just kind of go by and look at the tact you know technically at these players I'm a big Tyler Adams fan but I think Dax McCarty fit into that role Jesse Marsh perfectly tactical player prime tax not big to and be physical player, but yes when he was at the red bulls and maybe that one year at uh at chicago but you know adams is the new face of the red bulls and this is a direct team that plays more narrow uh it supports you know it's the system supports the players and the skills they have and it's i i think it's a good direction for them but uh they still can't figure it out in the playoffs yeah,
0: well, it's tough. It's tough for me because I, I don't know if I actually said it out loud during the podcast. I don't know if I actually picked the champion before the playoffs started, but I, I was of the opinion that this was this was the one, right? This was the time they were finally going to get over that hump. And, oh, it didn't happen. And I've basically, look, I, I credit where it's due, right? They've been able to sustain themselves through their academy, through, you know, cheaper signings, budget signings. Gone are the days of bringing in the Rafa Marquez and Tyria and to uh, kind of steady the ship, it's. Kaku was expensive. Kaku but was that's expensive, about it. but you can afford to splurge on one player when you've got so many others.
1: Absolutely. And you have the money because you, it's a well run organization. Yeah,
0: well, and well backed. I mean, too, there's definitely no shortage of money in the Red Bulls uh, <laughs> in that corporation, to say the least, but. Yeah, uh, look, this was the best team in terms of points in MLS history, and I'm kind of baffled by that fact looking back at it now because, I mean, when you talk about their personnel and you're not being impressed by it, I thought maybe I was just being a little bit of a hater when I thought of it that way. But I just, you know, I look at this team now, having seen them get just absolutely run over by Atlanta over two legs, and I'm like, yeah, just uh, nothing on this team makes me feel like at the beginning of the season, if you told me they were going to break the points record, I probably would have said, yeah, no, I don't think so, sorry.
1: I think it's the back five. Uh, or six, if you know, if you're going to count Robles. Uh, Robles, fantastic goalie in my mind, one of the best in the league. Tim Parker was a great acquisition alongside Aaron Long. You know, potentially two of the top five defenders in the league on one team, right there. Kamar Lawrence, terrific left back, best in the league for me. Michael Murillo, fantastic right back, uh, and then Tyler Adams protecting them and running back and supporting those six guys. Was enough to make this such a, a strong defensive team, right?
0: Uh, one of the best ever. I don't. I don't have the you know the defensive number in front of me that was like if it was a record or not. But the amount of goals that they allowed in this era of MLS is very impressive.
1: So we'll get a producer on that yeah, one. but no, it, it's uh,
0: impressive what they did defensively. I'm not trying to take that away from them, but it's like they they betrayed who they were. A lot of people were upset that they betrayed who they were in that uh, game against in that game in the game against Atlanta in the first leg, right? People were saying that well. This is what happens when you try to do something and you're not.
1: Yeah, I I see parts of that. But I also, I think when you're in a playoff game, you do whatever you can do to win. I don't know what people want. You make the adjustments. Because, yeah, because then you see a game and, you know, say you get blown out 3-0 because they play the way they want to play. It's a classic uh, thing with the Philadelphia Union. Jim Curtin doesn't change. He plays the way he wants to play. And when they lose, people complain, oh, he's not willing to change. I think sometimes in the playoffs, and big games, you have to be willing to make those adjustments. Tata Martino was. You have to be. Yeah, and it works. I mean, unless you're that much more dominant, unless you're Pep Guardiola in Man City or Pep Guardiola on any team he's really been on, I guess excluding Champions League semifinals. (laughs) Um you you can't, that, that's like the only situation where you can say, we're going to play our way and never change. No, and,
0: and, and you're right, because the thing is, like, people have been, you know, praising Tata Martino for the tactical change in the playoffs, and he deserves it, deserves it 100%, but people were saying, oh, but and it's something they hadn't done all season. It's like, ah, that's not 100% true. They had played a back three or a back five a couple times in the season. They just haven't had all of their personnel on available until now. And it shows just how good they are when they have all their personnel available. At you know, one time or another, they were missing a, a left back here, a right back here, a center back here, a midfielder here, right? And that changes everything because then if you don't – before they brought in Romedi, who would you have played in front of the back three to help them out as much as they're getting? It probably wouldn't – It was always Laronowicz. Right. You wouldn't have – and then you wouldn't have another center back.
1: Yeah. You might – I mean, you might, you might play Escobar there. They missed Garza who, uh, was, most of the season. Yeah, and I think that is the reason why he made as many changes as he did was because of uh, the injuries and suspensions and stuff. Uh, And for me, I I look at the Red Bulls, and in the beginning of the season, this was a, a different team. You had all these different guys who were playing you know, fairly significant minutes and by the end weren't playing at all. You had a set 11. You had Royer Moyle playing on the wings, Bradley Wright Phillips, Kaku, Sean Davis, and Tyler Adams as your front six. Beginning of the season, you had Florian Vallaud. You had uh, Vincent Bezicourt. Uh, you know, Etienne was a bigger player. You had uh, Tchaikovsky playing a much more significant role. Some of that was the CCL, huh. But I'm wondering how much, you know, the competition of having, you know, we always talked earlier in the year about that next man up mentality, about having that next guy who could step up at the end of the season, who are the Red Bulls going to bring on as a sub? Etienne didn't look like he was that spark plug. Tchaikovsky started looking a little flat. They didn't really Ivan have anyone who could the displace Royer-Moyle. I wasn't a huge fan of I Ivan. I was not either. He
0: was not good in that sub role, but more importantly, a great name. So he's gonna have to figure it out because I need an Ivan as a striker in the league. We need it. We need a world-class player named Ivan because it's such a tough-sounding name. Hurricane Ivan. Ivan.
1: Ivan, Ivan Drago. Uh, but th- that's what I think. Uh, you know, as much as the Red Bulls had a huge surge at the end of the year you know you could counter with that argument that they had this huge surge that's when they were strongest when they had the set lineup but i think when you are in playoff games you need as much flexibility as possible Uh, and that was that was their downfall in the end for me yeah
0: it was definitely not good for them at the end and now we go into another off season of uh, perhaps a little bit of uncertainty because we've are it's the worst kept secret perhaps in the league right tyler adams is heading for red bull leipzig in january where he'll move on to bigger and greener pastures in Germany. Uh, Bradley Royal Phillips is going to be, is 33 years old now uh, he's the only double digit scorer on the team other than Daniel Royer who had 13, you know, he had 7 assists DWP did he's such an important player for what they do and there's nothing wrong with that inherently because, you know, he's a very talented player but at some point he's going to hit that decline and it's somebody with his skill set, somebody that does rely a little bit on some pace. And he's, he is a pretty good technical player. Not, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like he's a one dimensional guy with only pace, but reality is with his pace reliance, it is going to be a quick decline. And once it happens, that team is going to be looking for production. that They're going to need to replace. And uh, I don't, I mean, look, this is a team that constantly finds it in other places. So it's hard for me to doubt that they will, but I don't know.
1: But it, I know that's that was exactly what I wanted to uh, to bring up as well. Moving forward, so you're losing Adams, Wright Phillips is going to turn 34 next year. Uh, I think this is that's going to be his last, uh, you know, season as an you know impactful player. Does he play all the time? The problem was they did try to bring in Derek Etienne to be uh, the, the backup striker at times and to get some time this year, and he wasn't really great. I I do think he has certain tools to make it. Uh, he could work on his composure. He could work on his finishing. Uh, but he has the physical abilities, and I think he has a decent soccer IQ. Um, but so, but as much as I think, okay, you're missing those two big guys. Remember, they did miss those guys in the game they won against Atlanta. Yeah. Last time they played. So, you know, perhaps it'll be another situation. Who steps up? I mean, uh, they started the year with Ben Mines, 18, uh, scoring a goal. I think he's kind of the next uh, center mid phenomenon to come up fidel escobar kyle duncan who had had acl injury uh end his season uh and like i said earlier they, they were missing Velo and bezancourt to the season the end of the season for injury so uh those are guys who come back it's like adding a new signing um uh, i don't foresee them getting more than one two signings i think this year
0: it'll be it'll be tough i mean the only thing is like i said they will be losing adams so they'll get a nice transfer fee out of that even though it's you know let's face it it's it's a company transaction it's like 538 going from espn to abc
1: yeah i i see it more as it's money going to mls really it is but that the red bulls don't they it doesn't really affect them it helps mls it does
0: help mls but that does that is an interesting point because mls is negotiating the transfer fee not the red bull so you know the red bull leipzig will not be paying five dollars for tyler adams they will be paying a fair fee
1: and a premium fee because he's an American international coming from an American league. And they know that, you know, this is within inter organization transfer. Uh, maybe they, they try to milk it a little and we bit. We talked about, so oh, yeah. yeah. we talked about that no, defense
0: and yeah, we talked about that defense. If it sticks together, it's amazing, but there is the reality. Tim Parker's out of contract after this season ends. Aaron long, is defensive player of the year, both men have been linked to moves to Europe in the past. It would not shock me to see one of them make the move. They sorely missed Kamar Lawrence. So, you know, their defensive depth is not amazing. It's going to be interesting. If they keep everybody together, I think that back line going to be just fine, but it's tough to say. You
1: no, know, I think Lade is a perfectly good uh, squad player at MLS. He can play right back. He can play left back. He's a natural right back. He's right footed, I think. Um, but he's,
0: don't let don't let Dave Sarakin hear that.
1: <laughs> but, I mean, I, I, I think it's not too big of an issue. They do ha- still have Aurelian Collins who's getting older, who can play center back. But uh, I also, you know, as much as you said you wouldn't be surprised if they leave, I wouldn't be surprised if they stick together. If they talk to Armas and they say, listen, we had something great, let's try to do that again. Because I, if they stick together, that's the best back five in the league, goalie and back four. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Sporting Kansas City edges them out.
0: Maybe, and so I think it's a good time to switch over to Sporting Kansas City right after you tell me if there is any panic level for the Red Bulls. No, I
1: don't think there. I don't think this there is. I think the Red Bulls are in the same position they've always been in. It's <laughs> bringing players to the <laughs> is academy. That, is that more depressing
0: you, than having a panic level?
1: It, I think it is because when are they gonna you know have that edge that brings them uh, into the MLS Cup? I think it's just a matter of time, personally. Well, I hope so. For I for think the sake. kind of the voodoo will end. I don't think that's gonna be forever. They
0: they do have one more thing. I didn't. I normally I bring up their Champions League run, but honestly they were so bad at the end of it that I wasn't really wanting to talk about it. Or just briefly before we move on, you know they did get eliminated in the Champions League by the eventual winners. Granted, by the eventual winners that scored one goal on them, the Red Bulls could not score on this terrible, terrible team. So just keep that in mind. Mm. Uh, that was a terrible way to start the season, and they'll be going back to the Champions League if Atlanta win MLS Cup.
1: Uh, and I think they would enjoy that. I mean, they can give more players opportunities because they, they are one of the deeper teams in terms of being able to call up uh, our Red Bull 2 players uh, and having them step up to the task. Uh, and, you know, I thought of all the teams that were going to beat, uh, that were going to win the, uh, the, against uh, Chivas, I thought it was going to be the Red Bulls. I thought they looked uh, the most dangerous against them in the end. Ah,
0: Toronto was probably more dangerous. Uh, Toronto made it all the way to the shootout. And then, you know, <laughs> if everybody remembers Michael Bradley hitting that penalty into section 500 row Z, but neither here nor there.
1: No fair. I just, I I thought Toronto got a little lucky we, in that. In basically every game they played, to be honest, <laughs> right. they kind of just squeezed goals out. But anyway, this is, that, we're talking
0: about, about other people at the Red Bulls funeral. Let's move on. Uh, <laughs> the Sporting <laughs> Kansas City funeral. Is probably the most talented team we've had to talk about yet in these so far. I, they didn't get the points that, the, you know, uh, that the Red Bulls had. They don't, they didn't have the, you know, the, the star players that you, Atlanta have. But everything they do is so impressive. I would argue their defense is actually more impressive than the Red Bulls defense for the simple fact that when you consider their styles of play, the Red Bulls don't exactly play this, like, up and out, uh, attack, attack, attack. Whereas Sporting Kansas City is much more direct.
1: No, I agree. They don't play defensive
0: impressive. midfielders. They don't have a guy sitting in front of the back line. No, no, just, they are after you. They play the perfect 4-3-3 if you saw that Reddit post on RMLS.
1: Yeah, I mean, they have Ilya kind of as that one guy defending them, not not two with Tyler Adams and Sean Davis. Uh, I would only, I would just would say defensively the one thing I think is Kamar Lawrence. I think he's better than Jimmy Madronder or Seth Sino, uh, Sinovic uh, at left back. But other than that, I, I think it would be – you might give the edge to Kansas City. Uh, but for me, this is all around the best team in the league, I think. Across the board. I think every team has a little weaknesses here or there. I think Atlanta has more weaknesses that are just well, def- well hidden. This is a team with very few weaknesses in sporting Kansas City.
0: That's true. Even the coach... Is just phenomenal. Peter Vermees, time and time again, showed why he's you know constantly up there for discussions for the national team. Even though apparently he wasn't interviewed, neither here nor there. Uh, yeah, no, who knows if anyone was interviewed? It's true. To be fair, I could have been interviewed, uh, and no one would know. Who knows? Who would know? Yeah, no, the DPS are fine. You know, Felipe Gutierrez. They lost him for part of the season. I, I thought he was phenomenal when he was out there. Uh, you know, Johan Croy. How do you say it?
1: <laughs> Quase. Quase.
0: Forgive me. Sporting Kansas City. I feel like this is not the first time this season I've had to learn that, but Johan Crozet, I thought, I don't know, I mean, look, I, I, I'm i not going to sit here and lie and say, oh, I've watched so much Sporting Kansas City film, and when he's out there, he looks phenomenal. Look, from what I've seen, I thought he looked good, but fans time and time again saying that he's not really up to par, and he, you know, he kind of lost his place in the team, uh, I can accept that that's probably the case, because, you know, this is a, this is a well-run, well-run organization. I don't See any reason to disagree with that kind of assessment? And it, big bucks or no big bucks, number ten shirt or no number ten shirt. At the end of the day, he wasn't good enough to start in the playoffs, and that's how it is.
1: Yeah, and I mean, give give him time. A lot of times, players' first years they're not great. Not always, but some players do grow into the league. Um, it usually happens with players bought halfway through the year. But I mean, like you said, I mean, this is when you look at the big acquisitions. They're not even that big acquisitions. Even Quaze as a DP or Felipe Gutierrez weren't, uh, you know, Wayne Rooney coming into the league. Uh, Zlatan. Uh, Johnny Russell, Felipe Gutierrez uh, weren't part of huge fanfare. Ilya Sanchez, always a rock in the midfield. Uh, Gerso Fernandez in that last game looked like he should be playing every game. Oh, yeah, uh, he
0: was pretty good. <laughs> he had me rolling.
1: And for me, I think they have everything in terms of what you want in a squad. Uh, long-serving veterans, Ike Matt Bessler, Ro- Roger Espinoza, Graham Zusi, all continue at MLS level even as the league grows, and you would say, Oh, maybe these are MLS 1.0 guys. We're an MLS um, 3.0. He's like a fine wine. You have good squad players. As much as you hate Kyrie Shelton, I think he's a fine squad player. Seth Sinovic, Jimmy Madranda, uh, when healthy. Uh, you know the whole you're only as good as your worst player bit?
0: Yeah, the worst player on Sporting Kansas City is probably the best of any other team.
1: And even if they are, they all even if they are, you know, worse. They always step up. They're always up to the task, and they never look out of place for me. And I think that comes down to Peter Vermees. Um, I could keep going on and on about every. You know, they have the youngsters. They have the Daniel Shallowies, uh, They have the best coach. I think one of the best coaches in MLS and Peter Vermees. Uh, always at the top level. I can't say enough good things about this team.
0: Yeah, no, and they'll be heading there. The U.S. Open Cup champions from last year, so they'll be heading to uh, the CONCACAF Champions League, thanks to that shift in format briefly, so congratulations to them, I can't wait to see them there hopefully they keep most of this team together, because I'm sure they'll be great there, but great representatives for us all
1: Yeah, and they are not. They don't really strike me as a team who gets kind of picked apart uh, you know, Vermees decides he's done with someone, someone else comes in, uh, and they have the depth they have, you know, they do have youngsters other guys, like uh, uh, Jalen Lindsay Uh, U20 International. Gianluco Busio, 16 years old, who scored a goal. Uh, Busio is definitely uh, the
0: guy I wanted to talk about. I love that guy.
1: I mean, moving forward, this is, I think next year, this is potentially another first seed in the West.
0: Yeah, agreed. So, you know, and teams had it out, and we didn't even, did we talk about Johnny Russell? You know, not to leave his contributions out. That man was fantastic this season. Definitely up there for newcomer of the year. Even though he won't get the same headlines as Zlatan or even Wayne Rooney.
1: Yeah, I mean, it comes into not only the fanfare of them coming in, but the fanfare during the season. He's not going to get that much attention. I mean, people, yes, people recognize how good he is, but I think, you know, it also partially comes down to the system. The system was Zlatan, the system was Lucho Acasa and Wayne Rooney, you know, and co. There is, Johnny Russell is never any time like a do or die on this team they have so many other weapons that can kill you they do so
0: yeah no panic level none yeah the opposite the hype meter
1: the hype meter is i guess the biggest panic is like you probably shouldn't have lost this game i think this was a team and i don't know i think you might agree with me is that they put the best shot to beat atlanta uh in atlanta i mean they already did it once
0: I completely agree on that front just and you know I don't want to, I don't want to labor the points here but yeah I agree I think Sporting Kansas City would have presented a better chance. But yeah no I, I think that something about that's a little concerning that this isn't the first time we saw this in parts of the season where we thought well that was weird what happened to Kansas City there. I don't know. That's something that they'll have to figure out. But you got to learn to hate to lose before you can love to win so we'll see.
1: Yeah they had a, they had a moment where they got flat halfway through the year. Strong start, strong end which I think is probably the right way to do it if you had to pick. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's something to think about. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. Uh,
0: quickly, before we jump out of here, some rumors and notes. Uh, Bastian Schweinsteiger signs on for 2019. Good for the fire. Bad for the pocketbooks. I don't really care. I think he should be back as long as he's not playing center back. Uh, David Villa is not coming back. Apparently, he'll be joining Iniesta in Japan on the same team, to be clear. Uh, so that's big for, uh, David Villa's last year of his career. Apparently, uh, great servant to MLS, great servant to that NYCFC team. He was the heart and soul of that team. So I am upset to see him go. I'm sure fans there are too, but, uh, times change and time, you got to move on at some point. So,
1: yeah, he was getting old, but I think he still has something in the legs, which is why he wants to keep playing. Uh, same thing with Bastion. I just hope the fire don't ruin his final year. They tried this year. Oh. They just need oh. they need some defenders uh, to let Bastion him for, is too nice forward.
0: to just tell them to go jump off a cliff. That's the only reason he's Which, still there.
1: And he probably has that ability. He has this Zlatan ability. If I'm not going to play on turf fields, I'm not going to play center back. You know, but he's a consummate professional, so he doesn't do
0: that. Yes, very much. And uh, last one: Super Mario Balotelli to Philly.
1: Oh my God! Honestly, like. The more I think about it, it might not be terrible. I'd, love I'd like it. to go party with that guy. Anyways. Oh, I would love it. I'd buy him a beer. Yeah. But uh, Even
0: greater would be him with all those young players. <laughs> being
1: being the, like the elder statesman. Yes,
0: being that veteran presence oh, in the locker room. Uh, I
1: don't see it happening. I don't see them splurging the money. Uh, I think Corey Burke did well in that year, and they need to replace Dogecal if he does leave. But it's a fun rumor, and he would be fun to watch in MLS no matter where he ended up going. Yeah,
0: well, we alluded to it. Uh, I think Atlanta wins MLS Cup. I don't see any reason to think that Portland's going to be able to take them off. I, Portland have played well. They deserve, you know, some credit getting into this final. But I think this is the end of the road for them. Uh, I guess it's the end of the road for both teams, regardless of the outcome. But no, I, they, they've played well. They deserve to be there. But Atlanta's just too good. I think this is their season. Tata's going to go out a winner. And they're going to have that stadium completely sold out. They've already sold out, you know, tickets. All The only tickets available are resale tickets. So that's going to be interesting.
1: You know, you say that, but Portland has done it not once, but three times on the road in this They're really playoffs.
0: smashing your uh, your trope, how hard it is to win
1: on the road in MLS. And if, apparently, if you're from the Pacific Northwest, it is not that difficult. I think Blanco and Valeri are they're able to make these moments of magic, and Ibobese is, I think, the perfect center forward with them. Allows those two to run off him. His hold-up play flicks, layoffs under intense pressure is a thing of beauty, one of my favorite things to watch. I just don't think... Unless they get uh, Larry's Mybiala back, I don't think Bill Tuloma and Liam Ridgewell are good enough to contain Almiron Martinez. Again, they'll need Char and Guzman. But I th- it's tough to not think Atlanta is going to pull this off. They have everything going for them.
0: F- following up on the uh, the other story we were following last time, the <laughs> Copa Libertadores second leg is officially going to be played, or at least that's the announcement from CONMEBOL. A uh, second leg between River Plate Boca Juniors, December 9th, Madrid, Spain, at the Santiago Bernabéu Real Madrid Stadium. For those unfamiliar, fans will be allowed from both teams. That. Could be asking for it. We'll see. 2 uh, 2 on aggregate. No away goal rule. So everything's all to play for there. The winners go into the Club World Cup uh, 10 days later. And the irony of the Copa Libertadores I know you're a history guy. So the, uh, the Copa Libertadores, the Liberators, being played in Spain.
1: <laughs> and I wonder how the Spaniards feel about that. Oh, they're happy. Also added after the uproar about. Uh... La Liga claiming they're going to play a game in America. Yeah. This happens. And now they, they go
0: and take a game from South America. That's pretty funny. But um, no, uh, just uh, it is what it is. Uh, You know, I've nicknamed it the Copa Conquistadores. You know, the Conquistadores Cup. Ooh, just I like that. Of, I guess meme. Meme potential? I don't know. That's just me. Maybe I'm being harsh. Look, uh, Reaver, Fever fans are upset. I get it. But you forfeited the right to host. I'm sorry. I, I'm okay with them not forfeiting the tournament in itself. I think it should be played because I think the trophy should be decided on the field but I can't stress enough. You forfeited the right to host the game. I don't care who did it or how many people were responsible. I'm sorry. That, there has to be consequences.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's, it still strikes me as strange. Maybe a bit of a cash grab. But um, big implications and home field advantage now gone for uh, for River Plate. It is. So we'll see if that helps them. Helps uh, Boca Juniors. Yeah.
0: And uh, briefly, briefly, who would win in a fight? Between a machine or a white rooster, Emmett?
1: Uh, what kind of machine?
0: Blue one.
1: Uh, I've heard that roosters see blue really well, so I'm going to have to go with the rooster.
0: Okay. Uh, an eagle versus a red devil.
1: Uh, freedom versus evil. Gotta be freedom. Give it to the eagle.
0: Good, good for you. Uh, a puma or a tiger?
1: Uh, a gotta be a tiger you're not allowed to hurt them they're endangered puma would be arrested if it hurt it
0: it dawns on me after all this time what i should be referring to the santos laguna team as the saints or the
1: stripes um that's a draw <laughs> oh yeah, no no winners Oh no winners
0: one. in that one the four or five matchup emits going for a draw there yeah no uh for those of you following along with my very clever english trend uh english names for these uh mexican teams fantastic stuff uh fun times fun times i'm sure these games will be very exciting again if you're starved for soccer in the weekend later today for example or tomorrow it'll be on so
1: yeah and uh keep track of those because i think i'll have some good guesses here
0: oh yes i can't wait to see especially since the first legs have already happened and you picked an underdog the favorite the underdog and a result that can't happen but all right well, actually, <laughs> I, I'm happen. lying. I'm lying. You're right. I you could the aggregate could end up drawn. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry for doubting you.
1: It's all right. It happens very often. I am used to it at this point. Uh, but unfortunately, that's all the time we have this week on the American Soccer Show. Don't for, don't forget to subscribe to us. Check out past episodes. Find us on Google, iTunes, Spotify for all your American Soccer needs. Leave us a review. Uh, You know, or send us an email, a Twitter question, Uh, anything. Let us know how we're doing or show some love. Until next time, I'm Emmett McConnell alongside Eric Alcantor signing off.